Hello and welcome to the Create Me podcast with your host, Ike Hedlam. So guys, I'm really excited to bring you these series of conversations with glass artists based in, you know, England and Scotland. Um, yeah, Create Me podcast has partnered up with Northlands Creative to bring you these series of really interesting and diverse conversations. Um, so I'm really excited to introduce my first guest today, um, it's Christopher Day. Um, I spoke to Chris um, about his work um, as a glass blower. Um, and also, you know, his experience as a black artist, you know, and we kind of really kind of really get into a really deep and interesting kind of conversation um, that I hope you guys really enjoy. So I'm going to come back at the end of the episode for a little catch up. OK, hope you enjoy. See you soon. But Chris, thank you for agreeing to come on the podcast and being the first guest in this series of um, episodes. So, yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Um... Yeah, it's uh, it's an amazing time, isn't it? Uh, not- yeah, 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 definitely. I think you know we 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 did speak briefly with each other on the phone last week, um, just to get introductions, you know, out of the way. And you know, we we did we definitely did remarks about like the current kind of like climate and lots of different things uh, that have just been happening with the pandemic, with Black Lives Matter. You know, it's been a very kind of interesting time, but um. Just before we get into all of that, just for the listeners, can you give them a little bit of an overview of yourself and how you actually got involved in being a glass blower? Okay, so um, I started four years ago, and um, basically it was uh, my wife dragged me uh, screaming and kicking to university. I didn't want to go. Uh, uh, historically, I've, I've, uh, I have um, uh, dyslexia, but I didn't even know until I went to university. They actually uh, diagnosed that I'd got it. So as a um, Going through school, uh, I didn't have the support there. I didn't even know I was dyslexic, although I didn't like reading or writing, and I found it very difficult. I didn't even know I had this problem. So um, having to go to university was really scary. You know, the only people I ever seen go to university and uh, when I was young were them that were actually rich or, you know, were, were really brainy. So I didn't, I didn't fit in any of them criteria. I wasn't rich and I wasn't brainy. So <laughs> even now, so, so when I went to university, I was, a, I didn't, I didn't want to go. And, um, I didn't expect what I've, what, what I've, what I've gone through. Um, mm-hmm. so I thought, well, I'll do what I wanted to do when I was younger, which was, um, oh, I loved art and I'd not touched art. Well, I'm 52 now. So when I went to uni, I was 48. I'd not touched art. And um, since I left school, which was 16, um, I did have a few jobs that were artistically based, but um, actually, you know, something to follow that on. I, I didn't I didn't go through uni. So, um, so when, when I hit university, it was uh, it was just like, wow, this is brilliant. You know, I didn't have to be academic. I could use I could do the artistic side of of, of university life. Um, so I went in on an open day and it, it was like, wow, there was all sorts. There was metal workshops, there was wood workshops, jewelry shops, but none of them really, none of them really, uh, uh, like, uh, what's the word? Sort of like beckoned to me. I'd done engineering through, yeah. through my working life. I'd done woodwork. Uh, I wasn't interested in jewelry as much, but well, one of the things that did mm. stick out was like the glass shop, the hot shop. And the ceramic side, I thought, well, I've never done that and I'd love to have a go. So, I, you know, I thought, right, I'm go- I'll apply and see yeah. how we get on. And because I didn't have a portfolio of work either, I didn't, I didn't have anything to show them that I could do this or I was interested in it. 
So my, uh, the tutor, which is now Paul McAllister, he, um, he said, well, go away, go and do some courses or go and do some taster sessions and then come back and see how you feel. Uh, and I didn't bother. I didn't bother. So the next, the, next, the, the next time there was an opening day, I went there, I went back and I said to Paul, I met him again. I said, Paul, do you remember me? And he says, oh, sort of. I says, well, I'm interested mm -hmm. of, in uh, applying to the university. Um, he says, well, have you got a portfolio? I said, no. Have you been on any taster sessions? I says, no. I said, I just know I really want to do this. So basically my intro was to sit down with Paul, have a discussion like what we're having. And he says, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll give you a go, you know. And if it wasn't for that one guy actually having either seen something in me or having a belief that I could do this, that I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be there. I wouldn't have got in because it was up to him to say yes or no. And it just takes, it just takes one person to sort of like have that belief in you, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what was it about Glass that kind of attracted you to actually working with Glass? What kind of, what kind of clicked you to say, oh, I might want to explore that a bit further? Yeah, I think, I think with the glass, it was the first thing was it was it was it was a material I'd never had the chance to work with. Any anybody can go down to an artist shop and get some pens and paper and some pencils and paint and do that. Even down to clay, you know, you can get a bag of clay and you can mold something or make something. But the glass is a is a material that I'd never had the chance to do that. So I think, wow, this is a good opportunity. So it was first just a material based um, application that I wanted to. Uh, pursue and then it was yeah. after that it was because i'm an engineer and a heating engineer is that i'm regulated by so many constraints that the glass gave me that freedom because although i wouldn't say i was one of the best glass blowers in england or even in, you know even in lichfield is that it mm -hmm. gave me the opportunity to sort of like work and not work so i wasn't i wasn't stuck with the constraints of having to make something that was perfect. I could make something that wasn't perfect. And so, you know, and, so, yeah. and something to, for me, I was doing the glass for me. I wasn't doing it to say, oh, I can make this beautiful vase and it's millimeter perfect. I was making stuff that wasn't <laughs> millimeter perfect at all. It was very distorted, very free form. It was, you know, it, it was me getting the enjoyment out of it and if anybody else gets the yeah. enjoyment out of it, it's a bonus but for me myself it was just for me and rele releasing what was not it was that was inside me you know the tension i mean the glass has got that tension built into it and, it, and it's that tension in the actual material that i can i can sort of like um understand because it's the tension yeah. being black you know you are you know you can go into a shop and not everybody can understand this, that them eyes are looking at you straight away. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're not a thief, if you're a thief or whatever. When people see somebody walk into a shop, they're already thinking, or I'm already thinking that on a personal note. Yeah. Or, you know, do they think I'm going to steal anything? Do I, you know, and this is me as a 52-year-old guy, and I still feel I look at people's eyes to think, are they looking at me? Because that's what, yeah. that's what I've had to grow up with. So for you then, I guess, you know, it definitely sounds like it's been very kind of like a therapeutic kind of process for you to kind of like work with glass as well. So it was like you kind of like exercised, I don't want to say exercised a lot of demons, but you kind of like working through a lot of things, definitely, you know, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. No, definitely, definitely. I, you know, when I first went to university, I thought, because in the plumbing industry, I thought, I'm going to make a nice basin. I'm going to make, you know, a nice glass basin or a, a nice toilet or something, you know, but. 
when if I started to actually look at my past, because you have to do a lot of writing and research, is that that research yeah. actually woke up a lot of demons. You, you know, it woke up about slavery. It woke up about, you know, the injustices that have been happening historically to black people. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was, I had this conversation with lecturers as that, you know, you know, halfway through my studies is that, right, you've done slavery now, Chris. He says, let's just bury it. It's, it's in the past. You know, what, 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 what can we make, what, what, what can we do in your work to make it more relevant today? And I stood my ground. I said, no, this, this, this story hasn't been told. It's never been settled from history. People have always got yeah. like, just gone over it a little briefly, then it gets buried again and it comes up again and it gets buried again. I says, but we need a proper discussion. And I says, I'm sticking to my guns and that's what I want to do with the glass. But I want to do it okay. in a way where it's not, um, it's not one-sided. It's not just, you know, we're, 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 we, I want to protest and I want to engage with the other side of society as well, which also feel the problems of the past, but perhaps don't know how to, how to engage. You know, people, when people start talking to you, Everything's politically correct now, and they don't want to. They don't even yeah. say the word black, and it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a hard word to say, isn't it? You know, where does that yeah. definition of black come from? And I say to people, it comes from when you get arrested, you're either black or you're white. Society looks at yeah. you, you're either black or you're white. They don't see, mm-hmm. like myself, I'm mixed race. They don't see me as a mixed race mm-hmm. person walking down the street. I'm black. That's it. And but when you talk to people that are black, well, you're not black because you're not really, you know, it's it's a, it's another conversation yeah. to have. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, there's, there's so much kind of little kind of nuances with the kind of like in terms of like you know, race and culture and identity in the UK that I guess we or as people of color that we understand and we recognize. Mm-hmm. But then it's almost like, you know, you're opening up that kind of discussion to a wider audience as well. And I think that's kind of like very much important now Definitely. that we can actually use our platforms to have those discussions. Yeah. You know, like you say, like, you know, someone like the, the, the basic thing of society, somebody will see you as black, but you're mixed race. You're from a mixed race parentage, you know, and there's two different identities and there are two different cultures there. And I think it's just so key that, you know, that we start kind of addressing that even my daughter you know she's of mixed race parentage and there's like rich interest in histories on both sides of her like her parents family but for you then i guess like you said that you know this has kind of gradually informed your practice and your work what ways has that kind of really influenced your work um at present at the moment well other, well uh, to, to bring it up today you know i mean going through slavery and the civil rights movement and segregation and anything like that it's been a divide and it's it's been something that i've i've you know i've it's not just an interest it's it's it is soothing the soul and and learning mm-hmm. about your heritage but for me it's like well i've gone past that and if i took the words of my um lecturers that says you know how can you bring that up to date the only way i could bring that up to date was on a personal level so for me it's mm-hmm. looking at my heritage of being mixed race and when you start yeah. looking about being mixed race and you look into books and the negative aspects of it, it's, it's even, you know, it's, it's even, I won't say depressing, but it really, it's, it's hurtful the way society actually treated people of being mixed race. You know, they were yeah. ostracized. Also, also, you know, it's, it's, it is, it's, re- it's, it's horrible. But 
I think mm. then tendencies of being mixed race is that you bury a lot. Like my white side is that I wouldn't say I bury it, but I try to promote my black side more. Um, mm -hmm. And I think if you look at some famous people like Lewis Hamilton, um, the lady that won the um, the Booker Prize, you know, of being mixed race, but they always say I'm the first black motorsport guy that's got number yeah. one. I'm the first black uh, lady to win the Booker Prize. They don't say mixed race, um, mm -hmm. and and even for myself, if somebody says, you know, like on 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 the film with the BBC, am I the only black yeah. glass blower? Because I don't want to confuse people. You can't confuse people and say mixed race because then it's it's not sending out that signal, and we're already trying to get equality of just being black, even you know, even if today. Yeah. So yeah. it's like if I try and throw in that being mixed race is is a problem as well. It's it's just watering down that that argument that you have. You know, it's not black lives matter, yeah. and then in brackets mixed lives, and then Asia and this mm. and that and the other. It's just black lives matter. So, yeah. Mark, that's. Although that's what I'm trying to promote, for me on a personal note, that's why I've gone to this mixed race because I think I've got to, I've got that stage now, and I think if I try to, I've tried to promote Black Lives Matter, and now I'm trying to promote that mixed race life matter as well, and the historical um, problems that I think everybody that of mixed race has to face of not fitting into society. So you get ostracized, yeah. you don't fit in. You've got this imposter syndrome as well. You know, you don't fit into that society. You don't fit into that society. But when you do try and engage with them two societies, is that you don't feel like you should be there. So you get this feeling of being an imposter. So some of my work, yeah. well, one of my pieces is called Imposter Syndrome. Um, you know, and it's, 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 very, it's very raw. You know, it's raw to myself. And I think anybody that sees it will, will understand what I'm trying to trying to create is that you've got this identity that society wants to put you in and also you've got this identity that you want to be you want to try and fit in but you've got all these barriers that actually are holding you back and mental barriers as well you know perhaps then barriers aren't there but mentally yeah. um you feel you feel you've got this barrier so you get chained down to either the way people talk to you or act with you um so yeah, so that's that's where I am with the glass. And and that's thing I wanted to kind of ask you, like my perception of glass blowing or glass making is an industry with like many creative industries that are predominantly middle class and white. Yeah, I don't know whether that's kind of been your experience. If that's the reality of like the situation. I I, I think um, because I went to university with on a blank canvas, I didn't even I didn't even know about glass. I didn't even know there was a community out there. I didn't even know what the structure was like. But after four years of being in them circles, and especially being in the Biennale in two thousand and nineteen, is that um, on the opening night, I think people of color, um, there was three of us. Mm -hmm. that's on an opening night as a black artist in the biennale i was the only one now there was a couple of um asian artists but um yeah so off that it, it, it sort of like, it was a big wake-up call for me because i'd been in enclosed in this university environment and then exposed to the actual community and being in an exhibition for the first time is that um actually where's where's all the black people you know, where's where, yeah. where? Where are they? 
and there was nobody there. And then it's sort of like it was it was one of them light bulb moments is it's you start to ask them questions. So I was asking lecturers, you know, how many black glass blowers do you know? How many black people do you know in the industry? How many black lecturers are there in the universities? It was that what, what why is this this big divide in the arts? And the only mm. the only question that came back is like you say, privilege. And I think with the glass, it is a very privileged material as in working mm. and as in getting access um you either got to go to university or you've got to go to somewhere where you can hire the studio and to hire a studio mm -hmm. in the midlands it's nearly 200 pounds to 250 pounds a day okay. when you go wow. down london you can double that or triple that so yeah it already becomes a privileged um material to work with I mean, even myself, you know, to find £200, I have to work, you know, a fair bit to get that money because it becomes a, it, it becomes a, um, it becomes a, not a privilege, but uh, what, what's the word? Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the word, not privilege. Yeah, I, I know. I know. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm trying to think myself. I'm trying to think of the word, of the word but it, it, yeah. it, it becomes. Uh, Oh, like a leisure activity, basically. So it's yeah. a pastime because you can't afford to do it all the time. Fortunately, some people can, but uh, for myself, it's you know I've got to, I've got to try and find find the money, or I've got to have somebody who wants something making to actually produce yeah. the work. I can't just like at university, you've you've got free reign, but once you're outside that mm. climate, then you've got to think, well, how how can I afford to make this? How you know? For me, it's playing with a glass. How can I afford to play with a glass? So you have to sort of like bide your time, get the money, or or make a commission where you can sell a piece of work to sort of like pay for the for the time at the studio. Um, yeah. So it does become very very privileged. Um, and I don't and I don't think the the glass world on a whole um, tries to promote or gives um, incentive for privileged or underprivileged people and it doesn't matter what color they are black or white uh, there's not many you know it doesn't it, the, i don't think um the privilege becomes a skin color it becomes more of a wealth you know so if you're if you've oh, yeah, yeah. if you've got lots of money then you can do it if you haven't got lots of money you can't and england at the moment or the, the uk hasn't got any co-op set up whereas in america they have got co-op so you can go and do the glass okay. at a you know Subsidized, or you'll go in there and you'll work and you'll you'll gain time, so you can go and do some glass at a, a you know a reduced rate. Whereas in England, there's not much set up. Although Northlands Creative are doing more on that side, and they're trying to you know they'll they'll do people that can that can go up there and do workshops. Um, there's there's not a lot of not a good not not a lot of scope in England. It's kind of a shame. I guess it's like one of those kind of things, you know. Like I was, I was kind of think like, you know, if it's not about race, then also the other thing is actually about class, yes, as well. You know, you kind of equal those other kind of challenges that people have to kind of navigate. But as I was watching that BBC um, video, the link that you sent me, I was thinking like, there's a really kind of interesting bit. I think like and I read under the article, under the video, the little article, and it's just like you know, you talking about you wanting to inspire younger generations of people and we spoke about this on the phone briefly last week but i just yeah. called to introduce myself to you that oh yeah because like you know within the arts i mean like 
culturally my background it wasn't pushed that much in comparison to now i think younger generations it is more or less go and do explore and express yourself in any way you can but just kind of having that you know like i would have loved that you know if there was like somebody say there's a glass blower and they kind of like you know they're mixed race or they're black i would have been like as a young kid so interested in that you know so it's really good what you're doing at the moment definitely i mean and that's that's the other thing you know going through the research is that i said you know, you'd, you'd ask for black artists. So you'd say to Loretta, mm-hmm. you know, oh, tell me about any black glass blowers or black glass makers. And there's, there's, there's none out there. There's none out there. That have got, there's one in America, Fred Wilson. Okay. Um, yeah. And I've, I've, and I only found about him, you know, three years into my work because you just Google him, Google him. Thank God for we've got Google nowadays. And, you know, if, if, I, if I had to look, if I had to go to the library and have a look in some books, there's like zero, you know. So when, when, when you Google black glass, glass blowers or you've, you've got to you've got to really research deep, deep to try and find these people. But this guy, you know, okay. he inspired me the way he was working because it wasn't your normal kind of glass what he was doing he was actually mm-hmm. saying a, telling a story with his glass and um and he told it in a way that was very um it wasn't in your face it wasn't things uh, mm-hmm. although he has got things i mean glass lo- looks lovely when it is hanging but it wasn't um mm-hmm. like cara walker in america she does silhouettes of the of the civil rights and the slave trade mm-hmm. and they're very explicit um the point is sometimes you won't want to take your children to one of her exhibitions you know it's okay. it, you know, right. it does it does it does dwell on the realms of pornographic but that's the historic mm-hmm. type of things that were happening to black people in slavery so that's what you know she's done it as a shock but i thought well i you know i can't do that i can't shock people because this conversation's got to start and if you're already shocking people they might not even want mm. to engage with that conversation. So, this, whereas Fred and Fred Wilson, his work is exactly like that. It, you've got to sort of like pick at it to find out what it's about. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, that's a good that's a good way I can try and do my work. And uh, you know, I got inspiration from him. When I looked at other artists um, that weren't of color, there are doesn't it doesn't it's not it's not it didn't sit with me. You know, when I was at mm-hmm. look at, um, oh, God, I can't think of the names. Um, that's part of my dyslexia. I forget names quicker than I can remember them. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I was, I was looking at white artists, but they didn't have that same, that same rawness of what I wanted to say. The only people I could mm-hmm. find that I was, I was um, that were, had a bit of rawness were if you was looking at, um, oh, you know the gay community. Their sort of rawness mm. is the same kind of rawness that we trying to trying to get out there. You know they've got a farm, yeah. and I think with everything that's happened, if you imagine over the last couple of years, five years, the LBGT, when they started to try and find their identity and the flags, and everybody was starting to find approval, Black Lives Matter was sort of like. In the background, although there, you know, that response to what has been happening has been going on for centuries, you know, years and years. Yeah. Actually, the LBGT, I think it was like a catalyst. It was just, and and I'd and I'd said before all this that had happened during COVID, I'd said to my lecturers, there is going to be an explosion soon. 
because you've got LBGT, yeah. you've got Brexit going on. Uh, you know, you've got people already, you know, you've got Farage and his band of team already, already stirring that, that pot of yeah. racism and, you know, racist views. And I says it's gonna, it is going to explode soon. And then we got Trump. And so it was like everybody was sat at home with COVID. And I think some people got on the bandwagon because they wanted to show their frustration as well, you know. And it was about, do you think that's about like this, all those kind of things that like you mentioned that all just kind of bubbled over? Yeah. Like more, you know, in, in like when we saw the horrific death of George Floyd, that, that was just like the straw that broke that, the camel's back of like, frustration like you know we've been indoors for so many months but then it's almost like visually we people are probably more in tune with what's going on because you have more time to actually process yeah. so much more information of what's happening in the world you have to take that time out and engage with it so yeah it, absolutely i think you know what you're saying there like you know you said you spoke to your lectures like and saying this is what's gonna happen yeah. like, there's gonna and, and, and absolutely this is unfortunately you know we've seen that happen it's you know so many times before you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. like you say, you know, there's been loads of George Floyds. There's been, you know, mm. um, you know, I mean, I've got a piece of work called Emmett Till. So, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, so even back then, and and the laws for lynching have only just been changed in the last year, and it's still trying to get passed. Yeah. You know, they've 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 applied for the law of the lynching because you can't mm -hmm. you can't get um, not arrest you can't you've not arrested, but you you know you can't get prosecuted for lynching. They've only just changed the the laws for that, but it's still having to go to Congress to get approved. So although they want, yeah. it's like, you know, how can you not have lynching as something that you can't be prosecuted for? So even back, you know, even if you go all the way back to Emmett Till to to all the way now to George Floyd, there's been endless accounts of atrocities to black people, but. Yeah, you know, I think it was just it was just the right time. It was just the right time, you know. Like you say, that spark it just ignited everybody's feelings, and I just hope that spark comes on. And it isn't one of them moments where oh, it'll it will just come up and then it will go back down, and we won't be having this conversation. I think I think things have changed. I mean, even looking at the TV yeah. media, there seems to be that you know they people do want to change. They do want this thing to 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 um, not just be tokenistic and um you know something happening yeah absolutely i know you know you mentioned emmett till and i think some listeners might not know the case of emmett till but he I think he was 14 years old, 14 year old. Um, in visiting the family members in the southern states of america uh, apparently i think he wolf whistled or uh, a young white woman and back in those days that was a complete no-no as a young black male he was taken from his relative's home and he was found dead um but his mom did one key thing in this case was that she wanted an open casket to let people in america know the horrors yeah. of what racism and lynching um was happening in america and which kind of sparked more kind of like a movement within the civil rights movement as well. That's, so that's kind of a little, little context for yeah. the people are listening, you know, yeah. about that, that case, you know, that, you know, that story of Emmett Till kind of sparks so much well, it, as well. well it, so thank you for mentioning that. It did spark the marches and just recently yeah. we, we've had the, 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 um, the, um, the celebration of the um, uh, Martin Luther King speech, which was, mm -hmm. you know, Around the same time, same time of 
than yeah. till so that was it was one of the, it was one of the catalysts of that movement at the time um yeah but but emmett you know uh bless him you know it's it, like I say, yeah. there's been so many emmets and i just hope there's well even after george there's a there's been a couple mm. more instances after that so when yeah. when society going to learn that you can't you can't yeah. do this and this is why people say, you know people are saying black lives matter and say all lives matter but on an instance like that, it's yeah, black life doesn't really matter, doesn't you know? I don't know. I guess that kind of fits into like you know your kind of new recent work, um, you know, and it's called Strange Fruit. Yes, and actually, you kind of like you know, I thought it was just like I thought it was Billy Holiday that wrote that song, but you kind of said, oh no, it was like a young Jewish man who was a poet, yeah, who wrote the song. You know, it was who, which the song was originally a poem. And then she turns it into the song and strange fruit. If anyone's ever seen that performed, it's so like engaging song. Even even um, just the words, like, you know, as even the words, yeah, yeah. And that's talking about you know more or less seeing like the bodies of young black men and women hanging from trees in the deep south, seeing that as yeah. strange fruit. So you know, you've created this new kind of work influenced by the song. What kind of made you want to kind of like? focus on you know this particular piece like this song strange fruit i think i mean strange fruit i mean i grew up in the 80s listening to ub40 mm -hmm. and ub40 did a rendition of it um and i never i suppose i was listening to the the tune i wasn't listening to the words you know only being young and i just thought it's reggae and i'm like wow this is really cool didn't listen to the words and then it wasn't until i went to university and um i'd looked at um I'd look, well, I was, I was starting to research things. And so you start to research bodies hanging. And then I thought, mm. strange fruit. And I, and I looked at it. And then it weren't until I, I read the words. And even when I hear the word, the strange fruit, a shiver goes through my body because I've seen all these images. I've seen the burnt bodies, I've, you know, and it is. And, and the words reflect all the aspects of a body being lynched. And so I found mm. it very a very powerful a powerful poem and a very powerful song. And I think that's why it was, it was one of the um, civil rights, you know, main songs at the time. Um, but for somebody of Jewish heritage to actually take on, he was really fed up of seeing everything that was happening to actually do something on, you know, on, on the back of all that and send it out. It, it was, mm. I, I, that's just an amazing story on its own. And the other fact is mm. that Billy Holiday's mixed race. <laughs> Yeah. So you've yeah. somebody of mixed race doing a very powerful song about things that are happening to black people. But in mm. her day, she would have been ostracized herself as being mixed race. She would have had all the, mm. all the horrible words and things that have been said to people of being mixed race. So, you know, it's, it's, an, amazing, it's an amazing song by an amazing person to take that stance. But I think the thing I can take from that is that perhaps being mixed race was that it was that way of actually getting into the white part of society as well, because she was actually accepted. So she was a jazz singer and she was allowed into places where black people weren't allowed at that time because of segregation. So if you imagine, you know, because she had a lighter skin, she was she was accepted at a level. Um, you know, she didn't have to go through the back door. She could go through the front door. You know, she, there was lots of things that she, she wasn't subjected to. And I think, you know, I can take a little bit of that on board is that I'm in, a, I'm in the glass world as a 
black person, but also perhaps people want to engage with me a little bit. I haven't got an accent. I've got no, I've got no, <laughs> I've got no yardy accent or anything like that. So, um, <laughs> and I, you know, perhaps I'm a bit more accepted um, mm-hmm. that way. And I, uh, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to think that skin color has anything to do as an artist, but I think, mm-hmm. I think you know, if I really, if I really was truthful, I think it has still got a lot to do with what skin color you are, and that's what okay. amazed me so much mm-hmm. on this journey that I've been on is that, as I haven't, I haven't, I haven't found any negativity yet. And I'm saying yet yeah, because with this mm-hmm. exhibition, I'm I'm putting my head above the parapet, so I'm I'm ready for the <laughs> I'm, I'm ready I'm I'm ready for the that discourse of people saying things. But uh, like I say, you know, I've had yeah. nothing but positive positive vibes from everybody, ev- everybody in in the art world and in the glass community as well. You know, although it is, I would say ninety nine percent white, I've had nothing but mm-hmm. positive. You know. And and that's from England and in the States. So I think perhaps, you know, yeah. my hero is Bob Marley, another mixed race guy, okay. you know. Yeah. So, and I've, I would love to feel that I'm perhaps, I mean, I've, you know, I've got so much inspiration from Bob is that, you know, I would love to be the, the, the Bob Marley of glass where you're trying to bring two, not, okay. not, not two warring factions, but, Two, two, you know, two societies together. But the problem I've got, though, Iker, is that there isn't, yeah. there isn't nobody out there black doing glass, not even interested in it. So how can you start to get that community interested in glass when perhaps they don't even know it's available to yeah. them? So there's a lot of uh, yeah, and and this is the thing. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and I definitely agree with what you know what you're saying because there's this kind of like aspects within the kind of creative industries that. It's, it doesn't, you know, for some class of people or you're from a particular background, you won't feel that, oh, yeah, this is this is easily a, a, a obtainable and accessible to me. So I think, like, you know, what you're doing, you're taking those first steps, you know, you're going to be exhibiting in London, that, you know, hopefully that resonates with someone at some yeah. point, that they can go into their, their school or they can show their kids and say, oh, look, oh, this guy, like, you know, he, he's up from Birmingham way and, like, he's mixed race or he's black and look what he's doing, you know? I think. Yeah these things that people will kind of like catch up on and actually kind of take notice of. But I feel like because of your like, if you're like the first of yeah. hopefully many in what you're doing, it's going to take a little bit of a while. But then what you're doing, I think, you know, in that sense, you know, there's that was a, a bit that I'm sure hopefully one day someone's going to get in touch with you and say, hey, I saw your exhibition. I really like it. Can I get involved? Can you teach me this or something? You know, and I think, yeah, I think this is kind of one of the things to kind of think about in the, in like in the long term that it will resonate with people i think you know i hope so and especially especially with yeah. what, what i'm producing you know i've i've always yeah. it's like when you're on instagram and you're flicking through the likes or not likes you'll find something that resonates mm-hmm. with you to to like but if you imagine me yeah i'm trying to when i was doing my my degree i'm trying to find other artists other black people who i can resonate with who i can you know feel yeah. some sort of um, allegiance to but I would be mm-hmm. looking all day because there's no one I can I could <laughs> like. And I, think, and, I, and I said to my lecturers, I says, you know, I says, I can't even find any black artists. How am I, I going to find any mixed race black glass people? Yeah. 
and he he turned around. He says, he says, uh, and this is uh, Max Stewart. He says, "Oh, Chris, you might be, you might be the first. You might be that foundation. You might be, you you know, you might be the first one to try and create this sort of um, environment." And I went to university yeah. for myself, but now I found myself actually, you know, as a as a trying to not want. I didn't want the role. I didn't sign up for the role, but like an ambassador now, is that. Yeah. You know, because I am the only one. So with that, with well, I won't say I'm the only one, actually. There are a few others out there that I've found. Um yeah. not just from from the filming, but there's a there's a there's a lady at um who was at university, Soraya. And um uh she's she's a brilliant glass blower. And then there's a couple down um that have been involved with Stourbridge, but I don't know them as such. But I know, you know, there are a couple. I don't know if they're still doing it. And I think this is the problem. Once you yeah. once you come out of university, you've got to try and sustain that 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 in you know in, in the glass. And if you can't afford to do it, then you you you, you know if you can't find a job or you can't afford to make stuff, then you'll go and do something else perhaps because it's easy mm-hmm. to be accessible. So it'd been so so I'm interrupting no, you there. My bad. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, just to say, just to say that um, you're going to be um, exhibiting um, during the London Craft Week, which yeah. I think it starts on the was it 21st September. It's I think it is the 21st. The exhibition starts. Yeah. My exhibition starts from the 28th of September to the 31st of October. But it will be it will be oh, while okay. the Craft Week is on as well. Um, yeah. Okay. Which is you know it, it's good exposure. You know, um, Angel from yeah. Vessels Gallery. Um, this one guy at the, um, mm-hmm. at the Biennale was the only person really to look at my work. And like I say, it's not, it's not pretty. It's not something that would sit on your mantelpiece, whereas all the glass at the Biennale is absolutely exquisite glass. But yeah. for me, although they've, it's telling a story, it's not telling mm-hmm. the kind of story that I'm saying. It's not a polit- there wasn't no political uh, unease about any of the work, whereas mine's very political and it's very uneasy to look at sometimes. Uh, but Angel, he he seen, he, you know, he could see past that. So, uh, but he was, you know, he was the only person to to see what it was, what it was about, and what it was worth. And I think um, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be where I am now. Um, okay. I'd perhaps be somewhere, but I mm-hmm. think. Angel, with the clout that he's got, and for him to take on board what I'm about, everybody else has stood up and listened and looked. If I didn't have mm-hmm. that person behind me, would have they stood up? So it's like it's been a good marriage, to be honest. Yeah, um, that's good. Um, as in, hopefully, it will. Well, it's definitely gave me the exposure, but it will perhaps mm-hmm. put him on a on a different playing field as well because my glass is very contemporary it's very conceptual whereas the glass that he's got in his studio although it's conceptual it's not political so Mm. um yeah we've both got our heads above the parapet on this one i'm afraid um and i'm just i I really you know i'm excited and i'm scared at the same time which i think is a good thing to be honest because if he wasn't yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. That, nerve, that, nerve, yeah. that nervous excitement yeah. is always needed. Definitely. So I'm, I'm really excited, and I'm, and I'm, I'm really scared uh, at the same time because it is, it's, it's a very, it's a very, it's very personal work, and yeah. um, I just hope people understand it. Um, 
especially that's the, you know that's the other thing that I'm I'm saying is that the glass is very white, so I'm throwing it to, and this is the shame. This is another thing that I've got to try and come over is that the arena I want to play to isn't the arena it's going to be displayed to. It's in an exhibition down London in one of the top galleries. The only people that will perhaps be interested are not of colour. So for me, that you know, for me to try and involve people of colour, what do I do next? You know, how how can I? You know, I'm asking all these questions now because this is this has been you know I've been propelled to the forefront of um, uh, of the glass world, but actually. Yeah. I want to try and engage with the kids that haven't got that uh, ability to engage. So how, do, how, how, how can I reach out to them? So I feel, I feel and it, it might sound horrible, but it sound, I feel like Robin Hood. You know, I'm perhaps stealing, <laughs> stealing from the rich, but I want to give it to the poor because, yeah. because it's them people. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just saying the poor. It's not poor. It's just people that haven't got the insight to glass. So I'm not... But yeah. it's like I want to engage with black people. I want to engage not just with black people, but with people that can't afford to do glass. You know, mm-hmm. if you could, my wish would be to go to a school of somebody, of myself who's, not, you know, dyslexic, somebody who's not achieving, somebody who's not got self-esteem, which I, you know, I've suffered with and I still suffer with now, and pull them mm-hmm. out of that environment just for a day and put them into an environment and say, look, Try and blow a bubble out of glass or try and do something, this and, you know, create something. And just, you know, their eyes, I'm sure, like mine, will just light up, even when they just feel the, the heat from the furnace. You know, it's like standing around mm-hmm. a barbecue. Everybody loves a barbecue. And it's not because of the food, it's yeah. because of the heat and, <laughs> and the flame, yeah. you know. So if, when you stand in front of that furnace at 1,100 degrees and feel it, it's like, wow, this is great. And it's just, you know, it is. so. To bring somebody out of a, a climate that they're subjected to day in, day out, and then put them into a climate that they've never even tasted, I think it would be a it would be a it would be it would be good for them, you know. It'd be it, it perhaps not change. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's it, you know, I think you just hit the nail on the head there that you can see like, you know, you take somebody out of a very familiar, maybe negative environment and put them in an environment that they, they have no idea about that you could probably see them quite thrive and do quite well i think so i think so and you know yeah. and the problem you've got is yeah. that the schools colleges all the establishment uh, establishments of education aren't pursuing the arts so where does somebody mm-hmm. who isn't academically minded where can they get their esteem from where where can they think mm-hmm. well i can't do maths i can't do english but i can create stuff you know, they don't actually do art. And, you know, my son's seven, and I, I say to him on a regular basis, I say, have you done any art at school? No, Dad, no, Dad. And this can go on for months, you know. Yeah. And it's the same with my, my, my eldest. He's 13, and they do, a, they, do a, they do minimum. I think it's only in their last couple of years at school where the arts are really uh, given out to them. But it's only painting and drawing still. Um, it's not, it's a shame. It's a shame that it is. It's not, you know, and they do a bit of technology. But you know, when I was at school, mm. you know, we could do all sorts. We could do woodwork. We did metal yeah. work. You know, you did. We had a forge where you could forge metal and beat it, and wow. you know, you, you could. Actually, <laughs> yeah. You know, we could make go karts. I mean, proper petrol go karts. You could make whatever you wanted to make, and mm. 
I got a lot of enjoyment out of that because I wasn't academically minded, but I got so much enjoyment from doing that. Whereas today, where can they get that enjoyment from? They're either stuck doing that or they're stuck on phones. And I think that's where um, TikTok and, and Snapchat and all them have took over, where people can get an Instagram, where the kids can get that, um, that you know, the amount of likes. It gives, it gives them that, oh, I feel good. You know, these people like me, yeah. you know. And, uh, yeah, definitely. And, uh, and I just think, you know, technology has took over a little bit from, mm-hmm. from that, where I think creatively people have got to get back and engage with their hands and make things. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, yeah, because if they don't, it's going to be, I mean, glass is already dying art, as in okay. uh, um, anything that's artistically um, creative that way it seems to be you know the older generation that are doing it it's not the youngsters that are doing it as much and um i think we've got yeah. to we've got to try and relight that fire and get people in yeah. or else we're just going to lose it i mean before we finish up chris i just want to kind of ask you about you know what are your kind of like future kind of goals and aspirations just at the moment have you got anything planned for 2021 I like uh, my goals change on a daily basis, you know, from <laughs> from COVID. I mean, my, my goal, my first, I mean, and this is only in like a three or four month period. My first goal was just to have yeah. an exhibition. That goal's gone. Yeah. My second goal practically mm-hmm. would be to go on television. That goal's gone. Appear on television, <laughs> uh, appear on the radio, you know, every day. My wife says, well, you know, not every day, but she says, well, what would you like to do? And I'd say, well, I'd like to have an exhibition and I'd I'd perhaps like to become famous, but you know, and it's like, well, all them goals are going, but my, my, my goal now is that, as I've said, you know, I want to be like the Robin Hood. So it'd be really, you know, my end goal would be to set up some sort of establishment or get some sort of backing where I could set up a studio and get children to come in and try it. You know, that would be my that would be my goal. And I'm already laying the foundations. I'm already talking to Alistair Malcolm at Stourbridge mm-hmm. saying, you know, and he's he's on the same sort of hymn sheet as well. He'd love to he'd love to set up something where we can engage more with with anybody anybody, doesn't matter if they're black, white, rich or yeah. and bring them into a in into it. So, you know, that would be my that's my new goal is to try and get, you know, me to be a link or link him with other children. Um, that haven't got the accessibility for glass. Um, yeah. But like everything, it's going to take backing. And so that's, 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 you know, that's the one we need. Hopefully the exhibition will perhaps bring in that backing. You know, I think that's, my, you know, that, that's what I'm hoping. Not for myself. I, if mm-hmm. I sell something, and I've already said, if I sell anything, I will recoup some of that money. So if I've got to out my own pocket, put £200 in and say, look, Alistair, I want the studio for a day and I want to bring mm-hmm. in a group of children, you know, I would do that. So, and I'm, and I'm just hoping that, you know, off this, off this, that somebody will engage and say, look, yeah, it's a brilliant thing that you've done. And we want to um, come on board and try and do something in the future with you. Um, brilliant. So yeah, that's great. That's my goal. So where can people find you like online? Like do you have a website or your yeah, Instagram? Yeah. Facebook? I, mean, I've got, I mean, fortunately with everything that's, that's happened, you just have to put Chris day glass in and everything will come up. Okay. So I've got an Instagram account, which is Christopher day glass. Uh, yeah. I've got, um, 
I've got a Facebook, which is Chris, Christopher Day. Uh, I've got a, a website. Like I say, if you just Google me, it will come up my website account. And uh, the mm-hmm. videos online. So there's, 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 you know, or contact contact yourself and then pass my details onto them if you want to, you know, whoever. Yeah, I'll, I'll put the links in the episode description as well. Okay. I'll definitely do that. Yes, yeah. Brilliant. But yeah, I mean, for me, I'd love to, you know, even if nobody's d- doing glass at the moment, I'd just like to engage with anybody of color that's either interested or doing glass. You know, that was my shout out with the BBC was, you know, am I the only black yeah. glass bower hoping that somebody would shout them and say, well, no, you're not. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still waiting for that shout out from anybody out there. Yeah. So, you know, if you're shy or anything, or if you're feeling like, I don't know how people are feeling by the, by the video, but uh, I'm hoping it's just that, um, it will, it will fire something up, but we're still, we're still waiting yeah. in vain as Bob Marley would say. <laughs> that's a great note to end on like chris um thank you so much you know for being the um, first um, guest on the um, northlands creative episode for glass lives i'm really appreciate no, it it's actually great to meet you in person as well yeah. finally no it's, but yeah, yeah i really enjoyed that and you know thank you for coming on the create me podcast man so yeah cheers so i hope you guys enjoyed we'll catch up with you soon all right take care for now Hello again. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Christopher Day. I want to thank Christopher for coming on the podcast and sharing his story with us. And I think, you know, his passion for everything that he does absolutely just comes through. So thanks again, Chris. I really appreciate it. And be sure, guys, to check out um, all of Chris's work on the links in the episode description. Also, a big shout out to the sponsors of our episode, Northlands Creative, along with um, Creative Europe and also um, Creative Scotland. So, yeah, um, really appreciate it, guys. So, you know, more conversations coming your way for Glass Lives. And, yeah, catch up with you soon.